Voices of Hope is the podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. In this sermon titled Warning Signs, Pastor Jordan looks at how to spot the warning signs in our life and the life of the church before it becomes too late. It comes from Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 19. Today we're going to be starting a new series uh, for the summer uh, called Under Construction. And it's about the work of the church in progress, that, that there are times at the church where we kind of lose sight of the mission, we lose sight of who we are, and that we need to kind of regroup, we need to kind of rebuild and remodel in a way to reach a world that has changed. All of us are very familiar with construction living in Castle Rock, right? Construction going on all the time, everywhere. And then we're also very familiar because our fellowship hall is under construction. We're looking at replacing the roof on the building in the summer, and we're going to do a, a nursery renovation in the summer. So there is, there's all kinds of construction updates going on around here. So it's something we're living in. And today what I want to talk about to start us off is what are warning signs? And as you can see from this picture, if you start seeing water in a ceiling, that's a warning sign, right? You should do something about it. Most of the time, though, not with this particularly, but sometimes in other things that we see the warning signs, but we choose to ignore it because we don't want to deal with it. We just kind of close our eyes, plug our ears, and go la, 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 la. We don't want to deal with it. And, uh, and then we have to deal with it when it's too late, when we can't ignore it anymore. I think of this, some examples of this in like uh, movies, there's a trope of the expert, the ignored expert. So gremlins, <laughs> who would have thought I could fit gremlins into a sermon today? Uh, gremlins, the, at the shop when the dad wants to, to buy gizmo there, uh, the owner of the shop is telling him, don't do it. And he's giving all these reasons why, and eventually he comes away with gizmo, and if you've seen that movie, it just wreaks havoc on the town that gizmo goes home to. And then there's Dante's Peak, which scarred me as a child, if you've ever seen it. Uh, uh, Pierce Brosnan's character there is an expert in volcanoes and he had gone to uh, town in Washington and saw all the signs that there's this active volcano. But the other experts said, well, you don't have this, and so they're like, you're just crazy. And then what happens? Volcano erupts, right? Most recently, there was the movie Don't Look Up, if you saw that, and just the people in there who are saying there's a comet coming and they ignore them also. And then uh, one of the more famous ones is from Jaws. If you remember this scene, which this is also a traumatizing movie, uh, I think I watched it once in fifth grade and never again. I, I refuse to watch it. Uh, this is a scene where the sheriff and uh, Richard Dreyfuss character is telling the mayor that there is a killer great white shark out there and they need to close the beaches and it's summertime, and the mayor's like, no way, this is our tourism, this is, this is way more important, just do what you need to do, keep people safe, beaches are open. So he ignores them, and then 
what happens? <laughs> a lot of shark bites. Um, so these are experts that are warning us. They're giving warning signs, but we don't want to hear it because we don't want to have to deal with the consequences or repercussions of what comes next. Likewise, we do the same with buildings. This is the picture earlier. We see things that are going on. We're like, well, some things, it's like, that can wait. We can wait for that. Then there's other things that's like, that's going to cost a lot of money. I don't want to have to deal with that right now. And then there, maybe you're the person that, in your car, if you hear a sound, a weird sound, you just turn that volume up on the radio <laughs> so you don't have to hear it. And then there's uh, our health. Our health, sometimes our doctors can tell us if you keep doing this or you keep going down this route, it's going to be tragic for you. It's not going to end well. And we're just going to be like, no, nah, I prefer to eat cheeseburgers. Um, <laughs> things like that. Then a more kind of contemporary, more modern way of talking about some of these things is it's called a red flag, right? So red flags. And most often it's used for like relationships. So if, so if your friends see a red flag with your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, they want to tell you it's a warning sign, you got to end it. But there's some funny ones I found online through social media. The first one comes from PetSmart. And their red flag was, dogs aren't allowed on the couch. If somebody says that, that's a red flag. Dogs are always welcome on the couch. <laughs> the other one was, uh, if they put pineapple on their pizza, that's a red flag. Oh, we have some fans of pineapple pizza in here, it seems like. And then this is me ignoring all of your red flags. Just ignoring it. So there's always signs, there's always warning signs for us, and Jeremiah is speaking of warning signs to the people of Israel in our scripture for today. And I'm sorry, that scripture is kind of a downer. I don't know if you're sitting there listening to it and you're like, oh no, what are we going to talk about today? But Jeremiah was born into a time where the world had violent changes and intense power struggles. There was a power struggle, a shift happening with power from Assyria to Babylonia. And then in the second part of this, the fall of Jerusalem happens, which was quite traumatic for the people of God. So Jeremiah is kind of taking place between those two events, that the power struggles are shifting and the power is shifting and that by the end, he's warning them, this is only going to end in destruction. And as we heard from the scripture, there's many, many red flags given to the Israelites. Jeremiah kind of is full of prose, uh, full of images, words, actions, metaphors. Uh, because if the scripture we read, we can read that literally or we could le read it as this metaphor of this warning from God spoken through Jeremiah. These, this is what it's going to be like. Jeremiah warned against the alliances that Judah is taking with Egypt. Judah cared more about power than being the people of God in a relationship with God. So the Israelites started to shift and they were no longer focused on the mission that God gave them as the people of God, but now they're clinging to how can we align ourselves with power. And Jeremiah was saying, this can only end in destruction. 
And eventually it did. So the people of God, Judah, Israel, belong exclusively to Yahweh. That was their purpose. Their purpose, they exist for nothing else but relationship with God so that they could be the light in the darkness in the world. That they get to be set apart, they get to be the people showing the character of God to the world. To be a movement of justice in a world that is unjust. But they abandoned that purpose. Instead, they took on false idols, they took on false um, leaders, identities. And when the story of God is forgotten by the people of God, then Israel forgets its covenantal way of being in the world and soon loses its reason for being altogether. Now, have you ever had it where you have this one purpose and then you get sidetracked and sidetracked and sidetracked and all of a sudden you're like, what am I even doing anymore? It's kind of what Israel was doing. It becomes more about their selfishness, more about what they want, what, what they see is needed rather than what God is telling them is needed. So what becomes, what was once intimate has now become distant, intimate and distant. The dominant verb used in verse two is went after and it's the same verb uh, as follow and it's used to describe fidelity. So it's suggesting infidelity on the side of Israel. In the scripture, it, had several, it has several different metaphors. It uses a cistern, it uses marriage, and um, those are kind of the main ways God is trying to portray what's going on here. It's like a marriage between God and the people of Israel, but God has always been faithful and the people of Israel have not. They have gone away. Israel has taken on the power and safety of the nation and the gods of their allies as their idols. This has now become their purpose. And since, no, since one takes on the character of God, since one takes on the character of the God one follows, Israel predictably has become a no thing as well. So if they're taking on other nations and other nations' gods, now they're taking on something that's completely false and nothing. So now their mission and who they are is nothing. God is putting them on trial in our scripture today. He even, God even uses some of that language of a, a trial, a court, that he's going to charge them with this, that they can't even stay faithful to God. They will be consistent and faithful to other gods and other things and idols, but not to God. They do not trust the way of God. And what is the way that they do not trust? I think the way that they do not trust is that in the Old Testament, to know God, to know Yahweh, is to know justice. And when Yahweh is not known, justice is not embraced. Jeremiah points out to the Israelites, he points out in our scripture, he says, their poets are no longer engaged in moralizing. Priests are no longer providing serious leadership. Judges forget their central commitment of justice. Rulers forget that power is a trust from God. And prophets forget that God summoned them. The whole community is unfaithful. It's lost its foundational point of reference, justice, mercy, and love. And that's spoken through many, many times in the Old Testament. 
In Walter Brueggemann's commentary on Jeremiah, he says that Adam C. Welch suggested that Israel trades gods because this, this one, this God, is too demanding. Too demanding in the way that a lot of grace has been given to them, and when a lot of grace is given, that means you must also give a lot of grace, which we don't want to do. We want to punish people. We want to bring judgment on people. Love is also a thing that's really hard. Love is so hard to do, especially loving people you don't like, right? But those are people that that even God tells us to love. Jesus told us to love our enemies. And that's hard. It demands a lot. It demands to self-surrender yourself, that it's no longer about you, but it's about the people around you. It's about God telling us who are the people to take care of around us, how to be the light in the world. And that's going to have to be sometimes us taking things that we think are important to us, that, that we think are rightfully ours, and just putting it aside for the betterment and flourishing of all people. So the bond between God and Israel was that of love. But for Israel, the bonds of love are the most enduring and the most exacting. It's the most tiring. It's like, we're, we're done with this. We have loved, we have done what you wanted, but nothing seems to change. So we're going to try something different. So they found other gods to follow that were not as demanding. This trouble of a historical kind has happened because Israel has forsaken and abandoned Yahweh, has refused the marriage relations spoken of in verse 2, and has refused the exclusive belonging in verse 3, and has refused to be Israel that God intended. Such a refusal may seem like freedom, but it's actually death. When we think we're, we're breaking away and we're, we're being free, sometimes it's, not, it's the exact opposite. Because we're actually being enslaved to our idols at that point. When we think we're following other things, other idols, other gods, it feels freeing, it feels new. But really it's just putting us in a place of death. Israel can no longer understand what is real from unreal. They cannot decipher between true and untrue. I don't know if that sounds familiar for today. There's a lot of that. A lot of wondering, is that true? With social media and the internet, that everything can move so fast and we don't even know if, if it's exactly from a good source. I think we're kind of in the same place as the Israelites. Having a hard time deciphering between true and untrue. So Jeremiah is warning the Israelites that this can only end one way with their destruction. And they think that because they're the chosen people of God, and that they have the temple in Jerusalem, they're kind of untouchable. We're chosen people, kind of puff their chests up in pride, right? They think it'll shield them from the judgment that is coming through the Babylonians and the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, and then their eventual exile and enslavement once again. I think in some ways, God is telling the Israelites, you've made your bed, now lay in it, right? And that's one of the misconceptions about the Old Testament. We often say, well, what, what about that God in the Old Testament? He seems very angry and violent. Actually, God is continuing to pull his people towards love and compassion and light, and they keep drifting away, and he's simply saying, if you're doing that, these are going to be the consequences. 
And so oftentimes it kind of looks like this. We will think, we'll be like, man, I'm feeling persecuted, I'm being persecuted, and you know, the man's boot is on me. But actually when you zoom out, it looks more like this. <laughs> That's what's going on with the Israelites. That they are doing this to themselves. They can blame God, they can blame other nations, they can blame all kinds of people, groups, whatever they want to blame, but ultimately it is their responsibility and their fault. Israel's idol of power, control, and self-preservation comes at a cost, but they are ignoring the warning signs that God is giving them. And now their restoration will not come until after judgment, after the Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem. That there's going to be a time of exile that they may be able to think about what they did wrong so that they may be able to live differently in the future. So where is this in our modern times? Where is this, where do we see this today? Where do we see it in our world? And where do you see it in your own life? Because all the things we talk about in scripture tend to be a larger, more corporate, community type of deal. But then there's also the lives that we live each and every day that it can get struck down to that too. Where are the places in your life where there are warning signs that you're ignoring? I think we have a robust discourse in American life about government, politics, religion, and the intersection of all of those. And in so many ways, we're exactly like the people Jeremiah is speaking to. We've created idols, and we've become apathetic to justice. We choose things over people. We choose hate over love. As long as we just get our way. As long as we win. We've, instead of caring for people, we care more about policies, profits, and progress. Walter Brueggemann said, loyalty one has towards any god is decisive for the shaping of human life. We become like the God we serve. Pursue a bubble and become a bubble. The object of love determines the quality of love. So if your love is something for the, for the people in Jeremiah's time, their love was for the power and for the other gods that were not real, then their love was empty, it was not real. That's the point Brueggemann is making. So where your heart is, where the God for you is, that's how it's going to shape you. If your idol is money, your whole life is going to be surrounded with this idea of how can I make more? How can I gain more? Now I know for a lot of us, we're probably sitting here thinking, oh, I know exactly who should be hearing this sermon. I know what group should hear that sermon. We think of different groups, politics, politicians, celebrities, other churches, other Christians, other pastors. We're like, they need to hear this. They need to, they need to know this. But we're kind of feeding into the same vicious cycle when we're doing that. That we're still not living as the, the merciful and gracious and loving people of God 
Instead, we are just trying to make people more like us. And I, I, I think there's been a lot of talk lately, especially after all these shootings, where, where we want to say, it's because we don't have God in our country, we don't have God in schools or prayer in schools or things like that. But sometimes I think that's kind of just an easy answer. And we talked about last week, no easy answers. It's an easy answer in the sense that it just says, well, other people aren't doing it right. They need to do it more like me. I want to push back on that because, because if we keep doing that, we're no longer looking like the gracious and loving people of God, but now we are looking like some kind of, kind of looking like the, the man that has the boot on the head, right? Oops, I went the wrong way. We're in communion now, sorry. <laughs> Going back to the boot. It's like that. We're, we're, we're thinking it, it, we're looking like that. We're looking like the boot more and more if we do that. Plus, God is not calling us to be a nation. God's not calling a nation for God's work. God is calling a people a people that love the way of Christ, love the way of God. Because God knows ultimately that ultimate power just corrupts. It can be good for a while, but eventually it corrupts the soul. And we start doing things we never thought we would. We have so many warning signs, yet we do nothing because we think that it's not our problem. That's somebody else's problem. And it is our problem. Just like the Israelites, it can lead to our destruction. If we keep going down certain paths, that it will end in nothing but destruction. And maybe sometimes that's what we need. Maybe sometimes that's the only way for us to be restored. So what about in your own life, in your relationships, in your, in your families, in your work, in other areas of your life? Where are the warning signs? Do you see any warning signs? And what are the warning signs? What, what does that mean? How do we even see what the warning signs are? I think what helps us with this is that warning signs for us as the people of God is if we are out of step with the mission of God. We can come up with all kinds of warning signs, different types, but for us in our lives and what we're doing and our calling is are we following what God wants of us? And we can find that in many different parts of scripture. And I just picked two uh, that, that are pretty helpful for this. One comes from Micah 6.8 in the Old Testament, one of the other prophets. He has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. And then ultimately, the other one that we try and keep in front of us each and every Sunday, literally up here on the banners, is to... Love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor as yourself. If all the things that you support, the things that you love, the things that you do, if it gets out of step with these, then that's a warning sign. If it's out of step with the flourishing of all people, of loving all people, and by loving all people we love God, then we're out of step. So what to do then? What does, it, what does it mean when we see the warning signs? What do we do? 
I think it takes courage and humility to see these signs and to change, to change the route. Because you can get so stuck on a certain route that you're going. We're, we're going, we can't stop. But it takes a lot of courage and humility to say, we're going to change where we're going. It's hard to look at ourselves and admit when we've been wrong, when our views that we have held for so long actually are going against the purpose and the people of God. If we think back to the ignored expert trope that we talked about earlier, eventually those ignored, the, the ones that ignored them were humbled, right? They were humbled at some point and they were like, oh gosh, I made a big mistake. We need to normalize that more, I think. I think we need to normalize being okay with being wrong about something and admitting it too. We also should remember, when we remember what God has done for us, it changes how we look into the future. God reminds the Israelites constantly that they were once slaves, once aliens in a strange land, and they should care for those who are going through the same thing because they know what it's like. So remembering what God has done for us in the past helps us look towards the future in a different way. Because the hope of that is that God does not forsake us. God does not leave us. God didn't demand devotion from a nation but a people. You are set apart. God does not give up on us. God did not give up on Israel. Yes, there were consequences. Yes, Jerusalem fell. There are horrible things that happened in the Old Testament due to the consequences of Israelites' actions. But ultimately, God does not give up on us. God's mission in the Old Testament and then through Jesus Christ shown in the New Testament was the hope and the good news of forgiveness of sins. Even if we give up on God, God does not give up on us. And that's the good news, the hope within all of this. For you, me, our families, our nation, our world is never beyond redemption. We just need to recognize the warning signs, humble ourselves, and do what God requires of us. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.